Welcome to the Produce Industry Podcast, your weekly download on current events, trends, market reports, and community discussions. Join us each week from Tampa, Florida, as we cover all aspects of the produce supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Patrick Kelly. Hey, produce people, welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kelly, also known as Lil Citrus, coming to you live from Tampa, Florida. Today is February 12, 2024, and we are just blowing and going through the first two months of 2024, everyone. I mean, seriously, how is your year going for you so far? Now, a couple announcements before we get started, everyone. SEPC's Southern Exposure is less than 30 days away right here in Tampa, Florida. That's right, the Tampa Bay area. We've got some fun stuff happening just right before SEPC. So if you know about the in-person networking event that we are hosting, we are bringing the virtual networking hour to life. That's right, right before SEPC. I'm excited to join SEPC at Southern Exposure in Tampa at the Tampa Convention Center. Learn, engage, network, and be part of this big produce community. And don't forget, at the end of the month, Leap Day, February 29th, we are having our virtual networking hour from 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, we have Robert Gunther coming on, and we are going to talk all about the Farm Bill, get you educated on what you need to know to make informed decisions for your business. Now, everyone, for our featured guests of today, we have Craig Carlson. Now, he has over 30 years of experience in leading produce strategy for retailers like Walmart and food service providers like U.S. Foods. Today, we are going to give an industry update of CEA. That's right, Controlled Environment Act, including vertical farming, hydroponics, and the future of the CEA industry, everyone. So let's go ahead and get this episode started. Hey, Craig, welcome to the show today. Hey, Patrick, thanks for having me. Hey, listen, when when you reached out, and I always love to tell everybody like the power of LinkedIn, you know, we reached out, we started talking. And one of the things that really grabbed me and everyone, it, you heard in the, the uh, intro, we're talking about CEA today. Traditionally, Craig, we've had CEA companies on, You, we talked about this, but it's more or less about a new product coming out, their brand, a new facility. And what really got to me was you were like, Patrick, has anybody given you the state of the industry on where CEA is? What's happening? And I was like, oh my God, no. I was like, no, no, they haven't. So I love that we met on LinkedIn. I love that we communicated. It's such a powerful tool, especially you know for the produce and supply chain industry. So Craig, let, let's get this kicked off. Let's get it started. You know, when we talk about having you on, Let's give them the 30,000 foot overview. Well, why should we be listening to Craig right now on CEA versus, <laughs> right? versus some of the big CEOs that are, that are at all these uh, locations? So um, let's give our listeners a little 30,000 foot overview. Great. Let's, let's, let's dig in. So I'll just tell you a little bit more about myself. Um, I, I come with over 30 years of leadership experience, uh, leading the produce strategy for retailers like Walmart, uh, and food service providers like U.S. Foods. I've spent the last 10 years as a strategy consultant, working with clients to commercialize programs in field-grown, and for the last four years, placed a heavy focus on the CEA industry. What do I do? Okay, I work with clients on go-to-market strategies that includes input on, on the design of a facility, which is extremely important. Offtake agreements, marketing, sales, and customer support 
and all to support a, a, a achieving commercial success. Succinctly put, I, I really help people make money in the, in the, the, the produce uh, business. And what, what I do find is the commercialization process is one of the, the best, the, the weakest links, I guess, for operators um, and where they can benefit in the CDA space, particularly the new ones that are getting in. For today's discussion, uh, we're going to be focusing on the CDA leafy green industry in particular. It is, uh, I think you'll you'll hear here really where some of the greatest promises are for the future in this industry. On the next year, let, let's take a look at where CA growing processes and how they've evolved to where they are today. Yeah, I was going to say to you, because what's what's crazy is it's like there's so many local CEA farms showing up, right? I mean, even I live in Tampa. From here to Orlando, there's plenty. From here to Ocala, there's plenty. I've even had some of them on the show. I, I've been to some of these facilities, but isn't there some type of difference between the actual vertical farming, hydroponic farming? I mean, I just, sometimes when you just say CEA, people think, oh no, it's in a greenhouse. That's all it is. Well, I mean, what is that? Yeah, for, that's a great question. So from a uh, growing process, there's, there's really two main types. There's what's called vertical farming. And I define it as a practice of growing in a facility with vertically stacked layers without sunlight. Most time, many times, it could be in an existing building in a, in a city, or it could be in just a, a dedicated location, a, a farm outside of the city. Over the last, kind of a little bit of a history here, over the last five years, VCs have, have uh, invested about $8 billion, a significant amount of money in the vertical farming globally. So, but the, the issues that, that everybody's probably seen has been widely publicized is that, um, you know, six vertical farming operations have ceased operations or declared bankruptcy recently. So the story here is uh, vertical farming is running into issues with, um, the high cost of capital presently, the high cost of energy and, and lower yields. So if you look at the vertical farming industry, it, it's, it's still in the development phase. And it, there's still a good story out there about vertical farms. We're going to talk about hydroponic farming next. You know, hydroponic farming actually dates back to the 16th century. And that it's, it's taken it evolved over the last 20 years to really become a, a, a viable, uh, much more viable, profitable process. And it's just, uh, you know, my, my prognosis about the vertical farming is it's they just need more time. They need, you know, having the demands of maybe Wall Street and investors that don't have a 10 year view, but have a three to five year view is really, really, you know, tested that the, the vertical farming industry. So let's move on to the other real proper tech, uh, I mean, growing technique and process. It's called hydroponic farming. Hydroponic farming is a technique that you grow plants using a water-based nutrient solution in media rather than soil. Um, the product is grown in a glass greenhouse with sunlight and is supplemented by artificial light. So you have both. And it's typically one layer. It, it, 
and what what it's really evolved to in the last 20 years is that you've got two different type of, of sub techniques where they grow, some grow in deep water culture. So think about this, a pond in a greenhouse where you've got a, a like a raft of, let's say four by three by four that just floats with a substrate product and the product grows right out, out, outside the water. And then you've got what's called a mobile gutter system. So you have gutters where they, they put uh, the substrate in the middle and they, they plant seeds uh, within these gutters and then they, they, they grow them in, in, in the greenhouse and they feed them through the water through the bottom. And I've seen that, yeah. And that I've been to, on my YouTube channel, I have two different videos. I have The Village is Grown, which is in Ocala, Florida, which they're both, they've got vertical farming where it's just stacked and stacked layers of soil with with right microgreens. And then there's also, I, village, I, I went to uh, Green Life Farms in uh, Lake Fort Worth and theirs was all hydroponic. So just like we you said, it's like, it starts all the way in the back, right? That just their seeds. And then as it goes through the, the months all the way to the front, you see the sprout, but they are literally on a pond, like you're saying. You were literally just on, uh, it's like a life raft of uh, of microgreens or baby arugula. That That's what right. it was. So um, I kind of have an idea now. Um, I, I thought when you said hydroponic or vertical, as I, I, I'll be real. A lot of times I don't think about it. I think, okay, it's just all CEA. Even if they had the water systems, I still would, I wouldn't say, oh, that's hydroponic. I would just say, oh, that's, yeah, that's CEA. But knowing and understanding the difference of that vertical farm is the platform with artificial light versus the hydroponic farming that's the seed going through the water with some light coming in from the greenhouse. Am I correct? I mean, you're having yeah. some light coming in. It's not all yeah. artificial light. Correct. Okay. All right. So Mother Nature is the best, in my in my opinion. Uh, artificial light is good, but you know it's much more efficient and much more cost effective. So got it. You know, hydroponic farming of the two methods is is the one that's most mature and it's most proven out method. And you know that is the is the, the model that is proving to go and make and make money. Got it. No, so, that's great. What well, I mean that that's amazing. So. And, I, and I'm going to I'm going to throw this out there to you because I did. A, I mean, obviously, I did a little bit of research on this. I know we're going to move into talking about like, what is the state of the industry? And I always like I, I always wanted to ask that question, because, again, I always get what's going on with brands. Right. What's happening in the world? You know, what's out in the retail location near you? But if you look at the state of the industry today, um, one of the things that I was able to research with you during this was the investment in vertical farming was down 90% in 2023. I, I got to hear you talk a little bit about that. You know, what is actually impacting, you know, the CEA world from 2023 and then moving into 2024? Don't talk about the future yet, but we'll get into <laughs> that. But like the state of the industry, what talk about the impacts. Yeah, so, I mean, many in the industry have, have come back between they've, they've come back and they said, we need more money. We're not we don't have a craft, uh, a path to profitability. Um, they're looking for government assistance, government funding. They, they were looking for investors that have a longer picture than, you know, three to five years. But what happened is, you know, if you took a look, take a look at the VCs, they, their picture is three to five. And 
many of these companies went public and the scrutiny of Wall Street looking at a new, a new operation like that is, is very, very difficult. So yeah, the, the, the vertical side has really been um, impacted. Obviously the VCs are down 90% in, in, in 2023. It's trickled to almost nothing right now. Uh, and well, we, we, you know, we talked a little bit about the future. I think that you're gonna see a new investor come in that's got maybe more of a, a 10 year or more view, more big, you know, uh, large capital and uh, with a perspective towards uh, an understanding towards agriculture. So there's, a, there's an evolution happening here. This is, we're just at finishing the early stage development phase, and then now we're, we're, we're getting ready to go on to the next one. Amazing. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, I can definitely see that investment bankers, investment companies are having a hard time with farming. Uh, that's one thing that I do know, Craig, is that, you, you know, some of my old friends have sold their, you know, packing facilities, not just CEA, but to investment companies. And their their mindset is completely different. They almost treat it like, you know, growers or manufacturers. And, and they're really not. I mean, I even heard someone say that CEA is a manufacturing business. You know, it's not a growing business. Uh, but in all reality, um, in the produce space, you know, we always say there's a three-year average. I liked what your thought process was, was we got to stop looking at the, yes, look at the 10 years. But with farming, a lot of times it's three years, three to five years. Sometimes growers don't make money, but every three years. And then when it turns around by that fifth year, they're able to average out all five years. I mean, I know that within citrus, I know that within grapes, uh, there's a lot of diversification that's needed. And then remember, you know, if you look at like a tree fruit not outside of CEA or even CEA, the water, I mean, how much water you do or do not get, right? You, if you have to purchase water, right? If you got the rain for rent, you need things like that. If it's a drought year, if there's things that, you can't get, that's going to affect your crop. And I think a lot of times like mother nature plays an effect and just like being within CEA, yes. Is it consistent in fact of what um, is needed? Yes. But remember, there's still factors out there. If there's ready, if Salinas Valley has too much lettuce or if they're, they, they drop their price. We all know the big boys out there in Salinas Valley when, you know, with their row crops, there's times that they will sell at prices that, you know, CEA can't drop their prices that much to go under that obviously break even process. So exactly. I, I like that. I, the, your process of the, you know, some of these investment companies need to, they need to think short term in a way that we got to focus on the crop and that this is not plastic that in 10 years, that, that eight years ago crop is going to be completely different than last year's crop and vice versa. Exactly. I mean, you know, the, uh, the sea industry has gone from one to four percent of, of the leafy green industry. Wow. I, I can see that changing uh, in the future. Some people say we're going to be at fifteen to twenty percent in the next ten years. I think that's very, very realistic. I, uh, and if, if anything, high, we can go much higher than that. So, and and if you take a look at the large hydroponic operations, there, there are a number of them that are. Are performing very well and, and making money. You know, you take a look at companies like, like Revol Greens, Little Leaf Farms, Gotham Greens are just some some prime examples of some of the companies out there that are leading the way and uh, in, in the hydroponic space and, and really uh, 
perform the, the business model is performing very well and they're expanding their operations. And I've been, and I've been at a couple of them on the show, not those, but you know, we've had, uh, you know, local bounty, you know, uh, Pete's was bought out by local bounty. You know, you, uh, we've had arrow farms, uh, we've had bright farms. Uh, we've had a, a lot of different companies, uh, that have come on that have just talked about, like I said, their brands, where it's going. Heck we've had Abby Pryor. Abby Pryor is a, a great woman in the industry. She's got a lot of good key, uh, keynotes and um, what to say and how, how to talk about CEA. Uh, and I like that she's an advocate for it. Uh, but again, it's like, where is it going? Where are we at? And I think a lot of times, let, let's be real. I mean, even on the podcast, I try to be that devil's advocate sometimes, Craig, because people are like, you know, we always promote, but we also do like to talk about what's happening. Yes, one one to four percent of the industry has grown. Ninety percent of the investment is down. Right, like these are things that are real things that are happening. And we can't ignore those. So, Craig, before we get into the future of the industry, which I know this is what people are waiting for, they're like, okay, we know where we're at today. We know what a CEA environment looks like. Let's take a quick break. Let's hear from our sponsors, and then let's go ahead and talk about the future of the industry next. All right, we'll be right back. Great. Thanks. I love grapes. Whoa, what's this? Dude, that's a snack with impact. Wait, what? You know, Sunrays. They are the snack with impact. All their grapes and mandarins are certified, sustainably grown, so you know the planet and people are being taken care of. And they make a donation to save the children with every package packed so kids can thrive around the world. No way. So every time I have Sunray's grape or mandarin, I'm making the world a better place? <laughs> Duh. That's why they call it the snack with impact. JGLC, the place to be, a third-generation, family-owned and operated asset-based company. Throughout their 60 years in business, integrity, reliability, and loyalty to their customers has remained their top priority. JGLC guarantees 24-7 communication with your personal logistics coordinator. They offer competitive pricing without sacrificing services. They operate throughout the United States and Canada. JGLC's customers count on them for dependability and dedication carried out on every order, every time. 60 years of service for all your trucking needs. Visit them at JGLC.com for your custom quote. Welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast, everyone. It's always great to hear from Dynamite sponsors creating dynamite content for the produce and supply chain industry. Today, we're talking all about indoor farming, vertical farming, hydroponic farming with Craig Carlson. Uh, if you're just joining us, we're about to talk about the future of the CEA industry, and we covered the state of the industry and what is vertical and hydro hydroponic farming. So, Craig, welcome back. Oh, thanks. Are you ready to talk about the future of the industry? Let's. I mean, because I'm dying to know, because I'll be real with you. I told you this when we were in the green room, uh, which was... I've noticed that CEA companies are, they're bellying up, you know, pretty fast once the investors are drying up. And I know you touched on the investment, uh, but you know, what is the future of this industry? Because if more and more companies just keep trying to start it and they're getting investment, when is it going to be a time before investment companies say, this isn't for us? Because there's so many that have started, right? And I'm not, you don't have to answer that question, but that's why I'm like, what is the future of this industry? And I'll be real. Every time I go to a grocery store, 
the CEA section is always fully stocked. Now, that might be because it's always on rotation, but I still notice a lot of people have heads of lettuce in their cart. They're grading bags of spinach. So let's set it up. Let's talk about the future of the industry. Sure. So the future of the industry is, hey, we're, we're still in the early innings here. Uh, the hydroponic industry is farther down the road. Uh, vertical farm industry is going to be uh, catching up. And, but the, the, the thing is, here's what's happening. Technology is advancing and uh, the next generation of CE farming is coming. First, uh, you know, current operations are continuing to increase their, increase their competitiveness. There are studies, industry studies that show yields doubling and the cost of production going down 40% over the last 10 years. That is, that is really amazing. So, I mean, the industry is, I, I see the industry shifting away from, there'll be a basic reliance on saying, hey, you know, we got, we save, we save you on water, we save you on energy, we save you on miles to the industry, but there's gonna there's a real case here where they've been able to go and over the last 10 years and continue to increase their their production and their efficiency. So, you know, some examples since 14, you know, seed density is is increased and germination rates have fallen. Uh, product loss rates have risen, cycle times have increased, you know, and the, and the, the productivity of the increase uh, as, as, uh, of the footprint has increased by a significant amount. So, and the labor has fallen down. So there's, these, these new operations are coming um, are into the, the present facilities, but now there's a, there's a next wave of farms that are coming. I call them the mega hydroponic farms. Mega hydroponic farms continues to give you the ability to leverage scale. You know, the, the average size of the next wave of facilities is moving to 20 or more acres with the ability to go to 50 or more acres, which is a significant amount of, of production. And these next generation of, of farms are going to even higher tech uh, Hydroponic operations, they'll have, you know, be with lower capital costs, be supported by artificial intelligence, uh, software uh, will require less labor, generate higher yields, and have lower input and energy costs. You talk about being a factory, the, the mega farm is, the, is, is the, the new factory of the future. Think about this. Wow. You have... Uh, hydroponic gutter systems the product is planted mechanized not not touched by a human hand goes into to a, a germination room comes out of the germination room on one side of the farm it it's small it moves long and in in 23 days it's done goes down gets gets harvested Set to a production facility, gets packed, goes out the other end, and you have a you've got a production facility, and not a human hand is touched. That's the type of operations that these uh, these mega hydroponic farms represent, and that that is to me that is the exciting part of what's coming in the future. That's crazy. Now I know that you know, and I'm kind of jumping in. 
What what about like commodities? Because I know that's been a big one. There's been so much talk, you know, they're trying to do blueberries, they're trying to do strawberries, they're trying to do other items, but it seems like leafy greens are really the, I would say the success factor here. Uh, in these in these new mega hydroponic farms, are they starting to grow other items? Are they gonna are they diversifying and having a lot of R and D on what other items they can produce? Because I'll be real, I've had strawberries from an indoor farming facility, and the the flavor is amazing. It's just they they're just like these little little tiny strawberries, <laughs> right? You know, um, but it was just a question. I know you're gonna yeah. talk about that, but yeah, I, 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 I think, think these mega facilities are they doing that? So what, what, what you're seeing in, the, in the, the, the strawberry industry in particular, you're seeing people that are they're exploring the area. It's still in, the early, in the infancy, I call it the infancy phase, where people are still trying to figure it out. You have to figure out what varieties can you grow indoors, um, the, the growing processes, how to make it efficient. Uh, how, how can you pick with robots uh, and, and you know, get the labor out of it? So, you know, people like Driscoll is partnered with, with Plenty and they're, they're, they're among the, the companies that are doing that out there. So I, I, I do think there's, there's a future there, but I think there's gonna, it's going to take some time to really make a, a commercial viable operation where you can... Uh, mass manufacturing C compared to the, the mega farm that I was talking about on, on the hydroponic side. Why is, why it, this is a sweet spot of CEA because you can mechanize it and you can uh, scale it and you can compete, compete now at levels with, uh, with field grown product. And you know, what's the story here behind it? You get, you have product that, Got a unique value propositions. It's it, 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 you're going to be able to give uh, really consistent quality, excellent quality product, 52 weeks a year at at, at an affordable price. So um, you know that that is why I'm really really excited about particularly the maker hydroponics space. I, I like it though. I mean, this is one thing that we we look at in the industry is you know the quality of product. I sometimes always say the quantity, we have enough quantity to go around, right? I mean, California alone has enough product to, to feed the US, but I always look at quality because there's certain items you, you long for the seasonality, you long to have it, whether it's a Juicy Crunch Tangerine or a Sumo when it comes out or, you know, or a Rainier Cherry, right? There's certain things that you're like, oh my gosh, as soon as this comes out, I want it because of the flavor, the taste, right? It brings you back. And, and that's why I think sometimes CEA does do for you because it brings you to a level of an experience that you didn't have before versus your normal bag of lettuce. Because that's what we're all just so used to, Craig, is going into the store, getting some chopped lettuce or buying, buying a head of romaine and, and being done with it. So I think that the space of, if you look at even restaurants, if you look at even like my game on like making omelets in the morning, for a while, I was buying microgreens, and I would put microgreens on top of my omelets in the morning. Uh, and obviously, you know, because you buy, you know, you say you buy broccolini or you buy some of the uh, ones that are a little bit bulkier. That you know, I say bulkier, but more. You can't use that much in in, in an omelet in one in one go round. But it brings you to a a point of, hey, this is something new. I enjoy this. Um, 
this is what's next versus you just not having it on your plate at all. And I say that a lot because how many times, Craig, do you pass up a salad at a, at a restaurant per se, because all they have is the Caesar and you're like, I don't want a Caesar salad. Right. You're like, yeah. we're laughing, right. And then, and then what, and then the other times you go to a restaurant and all of a sudden they have this Cobb salad with salmon on top of it. And you're like, whoa, 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 hold on, let's stop, let's back it up. What, what are you using in that? And they're like, oh, we're gonna use some spinach, right? We're gonna, we're gonna use some arugula. And you start to think to yourself, I'm going with the salmon and the salad today, because it, because it, <laughs> it gets you, it, it gives you a level of experience. I always say that to, to everybody, it's, it's an emotional experience. When you put food in your mouth, anything you put in your mouth is an emotional experience. My son has taught me this more and more. When he, when he puts something in his mouth, and he's like. I'm like, what's wrong? He's like, it's sour. I mean, it causes you, or like I said, sticking a juicy crunch in your mouth and you're going, oh, oh my gosh, that is so juicy. So it creates an emotional experience for you. And then you relate that when you do go out to eat and someone says, oh, we've got this item. You're like, ooh, I remember, yeah. I remember that, right? Exactly. So let me, you know, you made some great points. Just kind of back up a little bit. I'll, I'll go kind of through, I think, what you what, and, and respond to what you asked. But I mean, right now, I mean, the industry is really struggling with all the rain, you know, a desert, um, fungus uh, in, in the leafy greens, um, tractors getting stuck in the fields, heavy machinery. Uh, it, it, you know, losing losing a lot of production it, it's it's very very uh, it's a tough it's a di difficult time obviously in the CA industry it's that 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 what i call that factory mm -hmm. it comes out with the same amount of product every single day so you know and what what's really really exciting about that is you can you say you want a leaf size we can grow they, it, that industry can grow a leaf size you want to go instead of serving iceberg lettuce, okay, which is doesn't have a great of flavor, well, they can serve a, a romaine crunch. So you got new different varieties that you can you can grow and offer to your customers. And you know, by the way, romaine crunch holds up well underneath heat and uh, and salad dressing and really is fluffy on the plate, which which really, you know, that the chefs really, really like. So um that that's the nice part about the industry is you can you, you can grow unique varieties of, of of items and bring them into the marketplace that are that truly taste have superior use and taste and they're consistent all the time and they're available all the time and that's what it's about you know one thing i did learn from abby Pryor of bright farms she always told me it's not about what you put on top of the salad. It's what you put underneath that makes the salad. Because again, right, we can put bacon bits, cheese, dressing, cranberries, walnuts, uh, egg, right? And then we just never even know what's on the bottom. We really, we really don't. But if we put something good on the bottom, and I know, you know, they had that sunny crunch. Uh, but if you put some, you know, some of that sunny crunch or you put some arugula or you put some uh, spinach, that's one thing I told my wife. I was like, I just don't like one salad anymore, one le leaf, right? I want multiple within my salad. So it's like what you put on the bottom 
will really get you thinking of what you want to put on the top of your salad. That, that I think was key to me because a lot of times I was always thinking what to put on top of my salad. Like, what am I going to put on top? What am I going to put on top? Now I more focus on what leaves do I want to put in the salad. And my wife said this to me the other day, we were cooking one of our hello fresh meals and it was kale only. And I was like, I don't want that. She was, why? I'm like, because one, kale's really hard and crunchy. I said, and I don't want that for lunch. I said, and she's like, well, I think we have some spinach. And I think we have a couple other. So I was like, let's do this. I go, whatever it tells you to put in for kale, put a quarter of that and then a quarter of spinach and then some, uh, some arugula. And she was like, got it. So we kind of mixed up the recipe on what was on the bottom. And then we had protein, which was some chicken in there. Um, but again, it's what's on the bottom that, that really makes the, the salad. Yeah, and, and in, this re, in this industry, you're seeing people are getting involved in the um, company, different companies are involved in kits and various blends, trying to create uh, a, a better salad experience. It, you know, I, I foresee that these become, uh, CA industry is going to be more of salad companies than, uh, than growing. The focus is going to shift, right? The focus is everything you hear about is growing, growing, growing. Now it's going to switch over to the consumer, consumer, consumer. You know, how can you, you know, I, I think I take a step back here and I take a look at what happened to the organic industry. Ah, uh, 100%. Yeah. So the organic industry, I go, I go back to when that was before, before they were, there was USDA certification. It was a little bit of a wild west. Uh, everybody was doing different things, and there wasn't really, really one, one, one standard. Well, when that certification and there was one standard that they could get behind the USDA certification, mm -hmm. you know, the, the industry look where the industry is today. It's a maturing category. It's established. It's you know, twelve or more percent of the business. Uh, some, some, some retailers, it's over twenty percent of their business. And it, it really has come into to its own. And I think, you know, there's a there's an opportunity in the CEA space to, uh, you know, get behind some some basic standards. We've got someone, we've got in the CEA uh, area, there's called the CEA Alliance, which Tom Stencil is uh, the executive director of. And I, I know he's doing a, a lot of work on, on Capitol Hill, and he's been doing a lot of work with food safety to standardize the, the CA industry practices. And I think there's a, he's just touching the tip of the iceberg for what uh, what can do with it for the future of, uh, as we talk about the future of CA, particularly leafy greens. Oh, we need people to advocate for the industry. I, I thought Tom was going to finally retire. We get a lot of that. We get a lot of guys that they retire from their corporate jobs and then they start consulting agencies. Uh, I, and I, I would, my dad's on the, on the, on the point of retirement too. And I told him, I said, don't you dare get rid of your company and then start an, then start another consulting company. But I understand, right. You know, we need people that want to advocate for, for these things and that are passionate about what they're doing. And I saw that the other day that um, Tom and Robert Gunther and a few other people were meeting together uh, just to talk about more things that are happening in the industry, you know, that including the farm bill, they're including CEA. Uh, so there's a lot going on in these spaces. And I think that they are still new. And a lot of times we're just pulling people from companies, right. That are with specific companies that are advocating, but we all know, let's be real, Craig, 
If you work for a company and they're paying you a hundred thousand plus dollars a year, their salesman, business development, marketing director, whatever you want to call it, you know, when you're going up to lobby, I mean, you have a little bit more of an agenda that, you know, versus someone that's advocating for the industry. Am I right? Like, exactly. Exactly. You're going to be focusing on your sales, your market, you know, what, what you're doing. So um, no, that's great. And I, and I know that, you know, as we start to look at this, um, as we start to close up shop here, you know, what can we talk about? You know, what, what is next? What, you know, we know what's next for the industry, but what are your thoughts? What, what advice would you give out there um, to one? I mean, whether you're a consumer, whether you're in the industry, when you're just talking about CEA in general, what would be that general knowledge you would want somebody to know? Cause I tell people CEA all the time. And I have my friends that go, what is that? <laughs> I have to explain that. controlled environment ag. And they're like, Oh God. Yeah. Like a greenhouse. And even that and being in the industry, I, I stopped saying CEA anymore because people are like, huh? What is, so what would be that couple of things that you want, you know, our listeners to know? Yeah, do your homework, like anything. Do, in this space, consultants are very valuable. They can, uh, they can take your, your knowledge, skill levels to a, a new level. And you know, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of technology out there, and business developers, particularly out of the Netherlands, that they build these projects. They've got the expertise. Uh, you have to get in, get the right partners, listen listen to them. The and the commercialization process that we that I, I talked about earlier is probably the weakest link. And, don't don't start the commercialization process after you built your facility. Start before you even sign a you know do an agreement and meet with people. Figure out what you want to do. Do you want to go you know? Do you want to go whole head products? Do you want to go baby products? Do you want to grow herbs? Uh, uh, understand what 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 where you want to go. Where being and being and, and plan to be in the right location too, but. Uh, Spend the money, get the get the expertise, and you know that will make you successful. I like that. Education is key in our industry. A lot of times, people jump into it. Heck, I did. I started a brokerage in two thousand nine, two thousand ten. I kind of was just like, I know I have sales. I could do it, you know. And, and look what I mean. Over what a decade and a half later, I mean, I don't even own that company anymore. I don't have it. We shut it down. And a lot of times is, I would say it had to do with education and research, you know, knowing who the customers were, knowing who we could sell to. And then like when you're on that page of not knowing, um, your goals is just focused on what? Revenue. Because you're now you're like in survival mode of, I just got to bring revenue in. I got to bring revenue. I got to sell this product. And then to your point, like I said, if you don't have the education, if you don't have the consultants that have been in here, you might be walking into a landmine. I mean, in all honesty, you could be walking into something and going, yeah, we messed up on this. We, we, <laughs> we, uh, we didn't, we didn't think this through just because your customer wants something doesn't mean that you have to, to do it. You know, I realized that, uh, back in the days I had a customer and very short story, but I, I had a customer that I sold grapes to, I sold citrus to, and he did, he was like, we need another pineapple supplier. And that's how I got into the pineapple business. And I started calling around and figuring out. And then finally someone called me that it's funny enough that was looking for Patrick Kelly, but a completely different Patrick Kelly. This is back when I was in my twenties, they were looking for the 50 year old Patrick Kelly. I was the 20 year old Patrick Kelly. And I go, what do you do, man? He goes, well, I, I, I import pineapples. And I was like, oh my gosh, 
And then this gentleman we ended up doing business with for, for years, but just that alone, I didn't know what I was really getting myself into. And it took me years to understand it. And then finally, when we did understand it, we were already out of the industry. Like, I mean, the, the pineapple game, right? So it's like, if we would have known those education uh, processes, if we would have known the, had the knowledge, we could have looked at it and had a different strategy going in. But because we were so focused on revenue, which is we got to pay the bills, right? I just, I quit my job. I just started a new company. Now it's, it's sales mode, right? Uh, we should have stuck, we should have just stuck to citrus and grapes and then researched pineapples over time. Um, we were like, no, let's start importing pineapples. We'll get our license. We'll do this. We'll do this. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. It happens so fast. And yeah, I could tell you I've been burned. I, um, and it wasn't, it wasn't a great experience. That's why I always tell people I have a pineapple tattoo on my arm, Craig, and it's a pineapple when the bottom of the pineapple, a skull is etched out in the pineapple. And, you know, I tell everybody, I said, because that's how cutthroat the pineapple industry is. And that might taste sweet and beautiful, but man, it is a tough market to deal with. And if you don't know the people and you're not educated on the process, the steamship lines, the quality, the uh, everything, you're going to have some Unforgiving, right? That's the post industry. Very, very unforgiving. And then I always say when you're a broker, there's two in a brokerage that I always say there's two people that win. You know who that is? The grower and the customer. Because as soon as they go, because as soon as it happens, they go right after the broker, like, hey man, this is on you. You know, so <laughs> they never go after the grower. And I, you know, you could sit there and go, but I didn't grow the product. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. So um, now, Craig, listen, I, I think it's been great, you know, learning today about hydroponic farms versus vertical farming, where we are today of the state of the industry, some advice on what to do if you're thinking about it. And then overall, just talking about the future of the industry. I, I think that that's just incredible to talk about, because I think if you were to look at it today, there are still people that don't understand truly the state of the industry and where the future lies. I think there's a lot of money involved in this to put into the ground. And I think strategically you have to do it the right way. And you can't just hire big CEOs from big corporations to come in and think they're going to be a game changer. You got to do your homework. You got to do it. I love that you said that. I just, I wish more people would. I wish more people would get better training, Craig. I mean, that's one thing we hire people and we stick them right into a role because we expect them to be an adult and just do it. No, I mean, Get them trained, get them to understand the processes, get them to understand how the commodity works, get them into the CEA Alliance. So they understand where is it going? What's it doing? Cause then they can be better make educated decisions. And an educated decision is not about schooling. It's about what you've learned at the time. So any closing thoughts? Where can we, where can our uh, listeners find you if they want to get a hold of you? Uh, it's easy to find me on LinkedIn. You can message me there very easily. Yeah, that's where we met Craig Carlson on LinkedIn. You'll find him because he's all about CEA. He's a consultant, everybody. Um, reach out to him and let's keep learning about the CEA Alliance. Let's learn about what's next. Let's learn on how to do hydroponic and vertical farming the right way. So Craig, thanks for coming on the show. And as I say, we'll see you in the fields and on the horizon. Thanks, Patrick. You've been listening to the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Produce Industry Podcast. 
Until next time, see you in the fields or on the horizon.